And so while we're doing that, the reason I'm up here and got promoted to doing announcements this week is because we only have one announcement, and that is this one up here that you will see on the screen. She said yes, right? And uh, so Brooks and Amanda are officially engaged. We were over at a cabin on Lake uh, on the Columbia River over by Eniat, and uh, it was quite fun. And uh, her family came, so when they came back from this dinner date, uh, her family was there, and they had brought Missy up. Those of you who know Missy, so it was really cool that way. And then um, uh, what Brooks didn't know is, and if you are new to Northview, we have to tell you, his parents are missionaries in Nicaragua. All right, so they flew up for this. And they were there, and Brooks did not know they were there. So while they're greeting and they were doing all this with uh, Amanda's family, uh, of course, Abby had this all rigged, right? So <laughs> Abby goes like this, and out come Brooks' mom in it, and Brooks just lost it. It was fabulous. So it was a great time. I do not have a date, all right? And uh, you can see the ring up there, and you can ask her about I don't know all those official details because I'm a guy, right? <laughs> But uh, it is happening, and we will have us a legacy event. All right, senior high, you can book. See you. There you go. They were here just for that. Very cool. All right, take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to First Peter. We've been going through First Peter. We've been in chapter one. If you're new again, you can catch up with us if you want to. We're in uh, the first chapter, and we just spent three weeks on holiness. Uh, Peter emphasizes we should be holy because God is holy. So we, we walk through what does that look like. And you can download that. And we're moving on to the verses following that this week. As a result of God being holy and we being holy, then what? And uh, we're talking about fortitude. And we're talking this morning about the greatness of the king. And we're going to read these verses together. So we'll read from uh, verses 17 to 21 and then we'll pray. Peter says this, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. All right, let's pray this morning. Father, as we come and uh, spend time, we're going to be looking at some things Peter uh, encourages us as a result of what you've done, steps that we should take. And so as we look at this this morning, Lord, um, steps are different for everybody, but the steps towards holiness are similar in nature in that it's a move towards you. And Peter says, because of what you've done, we should uh, walk carefully in fear, knowing our time here is short and our time with you is long. So as we go through this, Father, you've been having conversations with us and each of us is in a different place with that conversation. Some of us, uh, it's a real warm goal and some of us, it's very difficult and uh, we come, uh, it's not the easiest thing. So connect this morning with the conversation that you're having with us uh, as we go through what Peter left behind and you use this crazy thing called preaching. And we give that to you, a great hope, and ask this in your name. Amen. All right. All right, so let's go back to the first slide here and uh, read. It says like this. And if you call on him as father, 
who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Remember that Peter has written this book to the exalted exiles. Uh, they are people who have been disrupted and uh, uh, uprooted. They have been trying to find a place to land. They are in what we would call modern-day Turkey. And uh, as, as they have been cast out and looking for new places to um, reset their anchor, Peter is writing these things. So he's saying, uh, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We spent three weeks uh, looking at the topic of holiness. And Peter was pointing out to his readers, and, and then as an extension us, God is holy, so we should be holy. Right? And that, by the way, great interactions off of email and stuff like that. It's been really, I'm looking at everyone, I want to thank you. It's been a really good dialogue. And the question would come down to why. Why should we do that? Well, in this next section, Peter gives us some compelling reasons why we should pursue holiness, right? The first one is this. God is the judge, okay? That's a concept you don't hear much anymore, but God is the judge, Peter's saying, and as a result, we should um, walk carefully, walk fearfully during our time down here. Peter says he will impartially... Uh, assess each person's standing according to his, God's own nature, holiness, and righteousness. So when Peter uses this word impartial, what he means by it is impartial means showing no favor to one side or the other. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if uh, you're famous or not famous. It doesn't matter if you're tall or short. It doesn't matter. He, he's going to come with an unbiased but accurate assessment Uh, based on his nature, his holiness, and his righteousness. And when it comes to judgment, he will be, uh, as we said, unbiased, but also unprejudiced. He will also be unswayed. He will also be undeterred. Just because people don't want to be judged will not stop him. The other thing that I I might add is he will be unerring. He will be absolutely precise in his assessment of each of our lives. Because he comes from a place of perfectness and holiness so he can read into all of our lives and not only know our actions, but the hidden motives of our hearts. Peter's trying to remind his listeners that although they are going through a rough time, and they were, remember, they were exiles, they they were cast out. He's telling them that even though you're going through a rough time, it still matters greatly how they respond. So just because they were going through a rough time did not give them permission to take a vacation from obedience. That's what he's saying. You know, we kind of have in our culture, uh, we kind of have a leftover remnant of what I'd call the great generation mentality, and that is when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? And then we have another whole aspect in our culture uh, that when the going gets tough, we quit or whine, right? And uh, Peter's saying, hey, you don't have that, choice to just stop in this process of holiness. Yes, I know things are rough, but you still need to keep going and you still need to be obedient is what he's trying to tell him. So he's saying, hey, if you call on him, in other words, if you claim the name, if you call yourself a Christian, then conduct yourselves with fear, an appropriate fear of the God who you're going to be answerable to. 
fear is translated, it means honored respect or deference. Okay? And the reason we give honored respect and deference is because God is good, but he's also mighty. Okay? He is the almighty. And so he is worthy of that kind of respect and honor and deference. Hebrews reminds us that it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So Peter's saying, hey, you don't just waltz in. You don't just come and hey, check it out, cool. Okay, that, that, that's not going to fly. And all our defense things aren't going to work when it, when it comes to that either. And so it's saying, hey, if you're going to come, if God provides a route to him, you should take that route. Take the route he's offering, and the route is through Christ as a lamb unblemished. Come through him because God is terrifying. And if you look at all the Bible stories, right, either Old Testament or New Testament, when people ran into God and ran into uh, Jesus, especially resurrected Jesus, it wasn't like, oh, check it out, right? They weren't, they weren't casual. They, they freaked, right? They acted like dead men. They fell down. John, his best friend, was literally knocked out to where they had to, angel had put his hand and raised him back up, okay? So we're talking about a person of tremendous impact here. That's what Peter's trying to get uh, his people to respond to. The other aspect that's sobering is the universal view expressed in Scripture that we will all face judgment, that there's not one of us that will not stand before God and the books will be opened and we will... Uh, face his judgment. Now, that Bible says there's two ways that can happen. One, you can be in Christ, right, and covered by the blood of Christ, or you can stand outside of that on your own merits. But if you're going to stand outside of it on your own merits, i.e., I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to be a moral person, I'm going to be a nice person, uh, anything like that, you have to stand then on the issue of I have obeyed all of your laws perfectly. And... If you can do that, then you can stand before him that way. But the Bible says none of us fit that category. The universal view held in our culture today is that we will not face judgment. And because we won't face judgment, so therefore, do whatever you want to do because it's okay. Because there is no judgment. There's nothing you have to worry about. There's no... uh, standard that you are going to be measured against. Uh, and you hear this a lot. There's a number of attitudes for, uh, for example, there is no judgment. Uh, people say there is no judgment because my God's a God of love and my God wouldn't send anybody to hell. And so therefore there is no hell and there is no judgment. Well, it is true that God's a God of love, but it's also true that he's a God of judgment. But this would say, well, he's a God of love. The other one is it's all okay. Uh, you know, okay, you're right. I didn't get it that well. You know, this time through, I kind of mucked it up pretty bad. But, you know, we get several tries at this, right? I'll come back and I'll be reincarnated. I'll get two, three shots at it. So I'll do better later on. I, yeah, I messed this one up, but I, I will get better and, uh, m- you know, make it through uh, later on in my various reincarnations. Uh, that one is, is, you know... We'll, we'll talk more about that in a second. The, the other one is I don't have to worry about judgment because I will be swallowed up in nirvana. Nirvana, if you don't know what that means, it's, it, it's a rock band from Seattle, but nirvana means nothingness, all right? So the idea is when I die, I get swallowed up into the great nothingness. I don't know why that idea is appealing to people. Why would, if I'm somebody, like the idea if I'm being swallowed up into nothingness, but it's, it's a popular one. 
Probably the ultimate expression of avoiding judgment is that when I die, there's absolutely nothing. This is all there is and I cease to exist. So I have this life and this life is done. Bingo, that's it. There's nothing on the other side. There's no God. There's no other life. You don't have to worry about going on. This is all you get. And once you're done and you're dead, there's no memory of it afterwards anyway. So it really doesn't matter because you just simply uh, cease to exist. This is all there is. And so it really doesn't matter what I do on this level. Now, I've listened to all of these over the years. And there's one point that stands out in all of them. And it's subtle, but it's real clear. What they're saying in all of these is, I have found a way to avoid judgment. God of love won't judge. If I'm reincarnated, I don't have to, uh, I don't have to worry about being judged. I can just get better at it, right? The problem with that, the Bible says, it is appointed for man once to die and then comes the judgment. And so we will all face these, but humans come up with very clever ways to get out of the, the judgment. I will avoid judgment and I will be the exception. Uh, the, you know, it's kind of like um, when you're a kid, you ever snitch cookies? Any cookie snitchers out there when you're a kid? Bob Benoit, I know you're dead guilty. Don't even try. All right? Right when you're a kid and you snitch cookies, and, and I used to snitch cookies when my mom would vacuum because I know when she was vacuuming, <laughs> right, she wouldn't be able to hear the door on the cupboard and hear the cookie jar clink. And, uh, and so I would plan on doing that, and I'd have my hand halfway in the jar when all of a sudden she'd come around the corner. Moms, are they know everything, right? And I was like, oh! And, you know, my initial response wasn't, oh, dearest mother, you caught me. And I am so blessed that you were vigilant on your duty and responsibility as mother and I repent on the spot and will never snitch another cookie again. That was not my attitude. Okay? My attitude was, dang, I got caught. Okay? And so I had to come up with some way to get uncaught. And so my way of getting uncaught would be if she said, I thought I told you never to snitch. Right? I'd say, well, yeah, but you and dad were fighting last night. Right? What was I doing? I'm fl- your parents, you ever run into that, right? Whoa, what? All of a sudden, the, the onus is all on you. How did that happen? And I would be sitting there, and my goal was, what's my goal in that strategy? It's to neutralize the authority, right? Because I, if I can neutralize the authority, then the authority can't judge me. And what you find in all these elaborate schemes are ways to neutralize the authority so that the authority doesn't have the right to judge. But none of these will work because, as I said, Hebrews points out, it's appointed on the man to die once and then comes the judgment. So you only get one life and then you die and then later will come the judgment. And so Peter's writing this in the mindset of live your life in such a way, walk in the fear of God while you're down here, even if it's in exile, because it makes a big difference. And why? He says, well, we've been ransomed. All right. Conduct yourselves of fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish or spot. Ransom means to be rescued, uh, and particularly rescued by paying off a debt that would be impossible for me to pay. If you look at a number of the parables that Jesus uses, he talks about these debts that people couldn't pay and how then the landowner or whatever, the tenant or the steward paid them off and they were all pointing towards him. 
So we've been, it says we've been ransomed, we've been pulled out of, but pulled out of from what? And if you look up there, it says from feudal ways. Feudal ways uh, from our, that we inherited from our forefathers. If any of you had to unpack the stuff handed down to you from your forefathers, right? Now, if you're sitting next to your parent, just ignore this part. Okay? Just don't look at them and, no, you were good, love you, you know, peace, love, kind of thing. But right, some of us get to our 50s and all of a sudden we got to go to counseling. Why? Because we're unpacking these futile ways we've inherited that don't work. We've tried really hard to make them work and they don't work. Futile ways, frustrating ways, unproductive ways, inherited ways, ways that lead not to life but from death. And in this specifically, Peter's talking about to Jewish people the inherited sacrificial system that they as a nation had picked up. And the whole trying to get right before God with the sacrifices and the futile way that that was and how Christ had opened up a new way. And so he's saying, don't, here's the warning, don't go back to those ways. What ways? The futile ways? The ways we used to sin. Peter mentions this in his second epistle in chapter 2, starting with verse 20, he says this, for if after they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in other words, somebody has come to know the knowledge about Jesus, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from, their whole, from the holy commandment, there's the word holy again, delivered to them, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing itself, returns to wallow in the mire. What does it look like to God from His holiness when we go back to our old ways of sin? Well, the two pictures that he uses here are really flattering that Peter used. One is when a dog licks up its own vomit. Any of you got dogs? Any of you ever see them throw up and re-lick their vomit up, right? Yep, if you're a dog owner, you see it. Isn't that a, a tasty illustration right that's what it looks like to god when he's freed us from our sin he's given us eternal life and then we go back to the old pattern the old lust the old greed the old anger the old it looks like a dog licking up its vomit right the other picture that he uses is a sow returning to the mire okay uh when you talk about a pig in the mud a lot of times what people don't realize is that that isn't clean mud, okay? That's, that's mud that's got fecal in it, it's got urine in it, it's got all kinds of stuff, and the pig loves to wallow in that. Now you can take a pig out, uh, I raise pigs, and you can take a pig out of that and you can wash them. But the pig does not sit there and go, oh yeah, that's, you got a brush right over there, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> pigs don't like that. So when you wash a pig, you actually have to put them in a crate and you hose them down, right? And the pig is not smiling when you do that. They get nasty. And if you get a big pig, they can break your leg, right? So you've got to be really careful. And when you get done with the pig, the pig does not go, thank you so much for washing me up. You know what the pig does? Bolts from the crate and goes right back to the mud, okay? And wallows in the mud. And, and this is this picture of what Peter's saying is it's like we like our sin. The pig goes, oh, it's cool and I like this and... And we go, we like our sin, it comforts me, and I feel at home here. I'm much more at home here being dirty and filthy than I am being clean and holy. So I, this is where I really belong. Peter's going, no, no, no. 
You aren't a dog and you aren't a pig. You're a rescued, ransomed person that Jesus died on the cross for. Do not go back to the old ways uh, there. So the admonition here is to stay clean. To stay clean. And one of the ways we stay clean is by confessing our sins to one another. The best way that happens is in a small group setting. At Northview here, what we uh, call that our community groups. And we work really hard to put community groups together that you belong. Our whole say is don't do life alone. Don't just be out there on your lonesome, but have a community group. And one of the great reasons why to have a community group is so that you have a known group of people that you can actually confess sin to. Right? You don't have to be together too long in a community group before somebody walks in and says, hey, can, can we just stop the lesson? Okay, this is mush right now. It's not working because I blew it this week. And, and I just went off at home. And I just spewed over everybody. I can't, I can't do this. I, gotta, I'm, I was wrong. I, I got to confess it. And would you guys pray for me? And, and what happens is that it, it flushes out, right? It flushes out. And so Peter's talking about the stay clean. That confession of sin is not an option, that it's actually mandatory. I just read an article this week that talked about uh, this professor who studied the effects of anger on people's health. Okay? Anger and bitterness and the effects of it. And they were saying that you can trace almost all of our health and physical problems to anger and bitterness and that if a person can get that out of their system, they actually their health improves. Where if not, that kind of just sits in there and then it goes toxic, right? And, and then what happens is uh, the more I'm angry, the more I'm bitter, the more unforgiveness, the more that builds up inside of me. And they've, list, they've linked it to all kinds of things like arthritis and uh, stomach ailments and uh, you name it. Uh, they said, you know, part of what our culture doesn't know how to do is get rid of anger. Uh, what we're taught in the movies and the shows is vengeance, right? Somebody does something wrong, you make it right uh, in a wrong kind of way. And, and Peter's saying, hey, this whole thing, you have to stay clean. And it's clean not just from sin, but it's attitudes like anger, like bitterness, because they affect us. They affect our health and confession really changes that. So the question is, okay, we've been ransomed. With what have we been ransomed? And Peter says, we've been ransomed by Christ. And he uses this illustration, this picture, the lamb without blemish or spot. Now, the problem is here, we're not Jewish. So when he says, we were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, we go, okay, that's a weird illustration. We know he's the lamb of God. But we don't have the Jewish context for that. We don't have the whole sacrificial system and what that actually means. And so when we're looking at it from a Jewish perspective, they had the tabernacle, right? And then later the temple and they would have this altar and that animal would be sacrificed. And then remember they would throw the blood against the altar. Okay? Have any of you ever smelt blood? Right? Any you know what blood smells like? Right? I grew up on a farm. We butchered animals, right? And so I know it, but it stinks. It's got a terrible smell to it. Can you imagine what that smelled like when they would slaughter the animal and throw that blood against the altar? You know, because that was beautiful, ornate stuff, right? Really. And they would splash that blood. What would that do? That would always remind them of the cost of their sin. Here's how costly, here's how stinky 
your sin was and this is what it takes to cover it up. So they would have a very visceral reaction when Peter uses the Lamb of God. They would have a very, they would have the smells to it, right? Uh, kind of thing when he's talking about that. Scripture always tries to paint the contrast between how precious the blood of Christ is compared to anything else. So it takes the most precious things like gold and like silver and uh, diamonds and all that kind of stuff and compares that to the value of Christ and his sacrifice and always puts that sacrifice far above anything we would count valuable down here. Matter of fact, uh, if you look in Scripture, uh, the use of uh, gold and silver, uh, which is the most precious down here, in the kingdom thing is seen as trifling stuff. If you go to Revelation and look right in its streets of gold, uh, it's used for paving material. Okay? It's, it's yeah, stuff used for construction. Okay? Why? Because the, the true treasure will be a city that needs no light. Why? Because God himself is the light of that city. Christ will be the light of that city. So uh, what Peter's talking about here is the supremacy of Christ. The utter supremacy of Christ over any other system, any kind of sacrificial system other than Jesus is inferior. It does not work. And Peter's saying, so therefore, remember how great the sacrifice was. And he was talking to people who understood what sacrifice was and what spilt blood was like. And so he says uh, that is the precious blood of Christ like the lamb without blemish or spot. Then he goes on to, to take that farther. Oops, here we go. It says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. How great is the king? The king thought out a plan before the world was even put together, knowing what would happen but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Made manifest. Now some of us work in jobs where we understand, like if you work in a warehouse, they'll bring a big crate in, a forklift will drive it in, the guy will hand you what's called a manifest. And what the manifest is, is a list of what's in that cargo container. And so you take the manifest, you go in the container, and you check off, what the manifest tells you is in that container. Once you have it all checked off, then you sign the manifest, right? So here Peter's talking about that God has manifest himself, made it manifest that the plan that God had in his mind and uh, was rolled out before anything good or bad happened on this planet. But the other side of it is that God manifested himself. In other words, he made himself knowable. He revealed himself in a way that had never happened before. There had never been a sacrifice like this. There had never been a story like this. Uh, The whole story of Jesus' birth and life and crucifixion and death and burial and resurrection, there's no parallel to it. Jesus uh, had accomplished something that had never been able to be accomplished before. And when when he manifested himself, made himself known... Um, what uh, Peter's trying to say here is that he accomplished um, this, it was a once-for-all manifestation. 
In other words, it had never happened before. It was never going to happen again. It was a one-time fixes all. And think from a Jewish mind how unusual that is because all they knew was repetition of sacrifices, right? You just kept giving them because they never completely cleansed or cleansed your conscience or cleansed uh, from sin. And so that's why today, uh, even this very morning, we're urged in the strongest way to put our faith and hope in Him. So who is this Jesus? Well, when we're talking about the greatness of the king here, there's some other writers who also tried to capture this. Paul captures this in Colossians, uh, reading from verse 15 to 20. I'm going to read a couple and then put the rest up there. It says, He is the image of the invisible God. A number of writers tried to get In Hebrews it says He's the exact representation of God. In other words, when you look at Jesus and you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. It tells you exactly what God's like. Jesus is like God. God is like Jesus. Okay? Same thing. It says he is the exact image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And then it goes on to say, this right here, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. I like that phrase. um, I was coming from the Columbia River and coming back through and driving over the mountains. It was snowing last night on the pass. It was gorgeous and uh, made my old Wisconsin heart happy. And so we had fun doing that. But I was thinking about this. I was coming and going, holds all things together. Scripture says, by the power of his breath, by the power of his word, he holds all things together. Just think if Jesus quit breathing. What if Jesus had sleep apnea? Right? Poof, those chairs, suddenly you're on your keister on the floor. But not just the floor, but the walls, the building, the pavement, the mountains, the water, the streams. But not only that, you. Everything is held together by the power of his, the breath of his word. How great is this person? He is so great. He holds everything we know together, including the universe. When you look at the stars at night and you think of the distances and you think of the miles and you think of the universes and galaxies and the things that are out there, it's all held together by the power of his word. That is an astonishing, astonishing thing. Says he is the head of the body, the church. Uh, by the way, the, the modern thing is the church is done. Church is over. Okay, Church is dead and uh, it won't be long before it dies out completely. I got news for you. That is not true. Okay? That is not true at all. The church is not going away. Okay? As a matter of fact, the reason you know that, why? Because we have a great leader. Who's the head of the church? Jesus, the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. And I want to say this, because you don't hear this very often, but the church, yes, for all its full paws, all its warts, all its wrinkles and all its sins, okay, the church is the most redemptive uh, institution on the face of the earth. Okay? It is the one place where uh, people can find reconciliation with God and it will never go away. It is going to be used by God. It is, uh, you, the reason why is they will try to kill it, but you can't kill the Holy Spirit. Right? It will squirt, morph into different forms, but you're never getting away with the church. As a matter of fact, the more the world tries to crush the church, the more the church grows. Right? And so why? Because he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. In other words, Paul, Peter, John, what they were trying to capture here is the supremacy of Christ. 
the absolute supremacy of what he did compared to anything else that was on the table as an option. And saying, that is so far above, we should be astonished and worship with awe when we worship. And what happens is we forget that. And we start treating Jesus just like the stuff down here. And we're not caught up in awe or wonder, but... It says we should. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. And how has he made peace? By the blood of the cross. Okay? The blood was splashed on the cross, just like the blood was splashed on the old tabernacle, splashed on the altar, now splashed on the blood. But this time, it works. This time, it cleanses. This time, sin is forgiven. If you capture that same theme with John, if you go to the book of Revelation chapter 5, let me read a couple of verses here. John tries to capture the same thing on the supremacy of Christ. John has this vision, and he sees in this vision that there's this great throne scene. He says, Between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And so Scripture seems to indicate that Jesus will never lose those marks. Those marks will go from the marks of a curse to the marks of honor and glory and praise and worship. And they will always be there to be reminded of the great price, the supremacy of the offering that God made versus the kind of offerings that we can make. I said so often we get it turned around, we come to church, think we're doing something for God, and the reality is when we come to church, God's doing something for us. Right? And that's what uh, John sees here in this throne room of what the Lamb has done. I saw a Lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So a little backdrop here. When, John, when this is set up, John sees this whole scene, and there is a scroll. And the scroll is being handed uh, from the king to this land. And, but because the word had gone out before, is there anybody... In heaven, in the universe, on earth, under the earth, is there anybody who is worthy that are in such a place that they can open the scroll? Now think from a Jewish standpoint. Think of all the people you know. Think of Abraham. Think of Isaac. Think of Jacob. Think of Moses. Think of the prophets. Think of the priests. Think of the kings. Think of all the great characters who have marched through history. And there wasn't anybody found who could take the scroll and open it. That's why John was in anguish and he wept. He's like, oh no, it's all falling apart. That has to be opened. Until the Lamb came. The supremacy of Christ, the Lamb came and he was able to take the scroll from God. And it says then, because he was able to do it, they sang a new song. Zach, this will help with worship here, all right? Here's the song they're singing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed. There's that word again. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. This this is a song here that they're singing about... um, the exasperation of not being able to find a perfect sacrifice and now they've been able to find it. The lamb, one like one who has been slain, was able to permanently wash away their sins. And so this becomes a song of worship. 
This is a song of praise. This is a song of adoration. It's a song of honor. Men, uh, we don't always like the huggy songs, right? Okay. Well, here, this is a song of honor. Give honor to whom honor is due. Give honor to the king. Give honor to the supreme one. Men, we understand that. Give honor and submit to the authority. This is that lamb that we, we sing that to. This is the lamb that Peter's talking about. It's the lamb that uh, Paul's talking about. It's the lamb that John was talking about. Spotless and unblemished, the perfect lamb who is worthy to open the seals. And notice what are the seals. They are seals of judgment. Only the lamb is able to open the seals of judgment. Okay? And so people who say, uh, there won't be any. I disagree because this Jesus who died on the cross is the only person and when he opens the scroll, the seals, they will be seals of judgment. And therefore Peter says, all right, now you know who he is. Let's walk, let us walk in fear as we conduct our time down here on earth knowing that we were ransomed at a great price. Knowing how great he is, walk in accordance to the fear that's due him. And also in this process then is the importance of hope. Peter says, if you call on him, well, hang on a second, let's talk about hope for a second. You know, people can go on through a lot of stuff, a lot of tough stuff. I've seen people plow through unbelievable life situations as long as they have hope. If they lose hope, the whole bottom drops out. And there's all kinds of things that you can lose hope. You can lose hope in your marriage, you can lose hope in your children, you can ho- lose hope in yourself, you can lose hope in God, you can lose hope in your finances, you can lose hope in your career, you can lose hope in your health. Right? Uh, you watch people, someone suddenly gets the diagnosis of cancer and watch hope go flying out the window uh, in that process. And people can go through a lot of stuff as long as they have hope. And so therefore, all of this is designed for us to hold on to our hope. Remember we said you hang on to that rope. You don't let go of that rope. This is about the third time that Peter comes swinging around with this whole idea of hanging on to the hope. So if we put this together, it says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable, put this all together now, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And then it says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. In other words, we are to live our lives uh, based on the, the hope that comes from Jesus. And so Peter's exhorting, all of the New Testament exhorts, never ever give up on your hope in Christ. It is the precious treasure that you have. Peter exhorts us earlier in this same epistle, set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. What does this mean? There's two stages of grace. One is the grace that God gives us right now, and God gives us a grace appropriate, appropriate for what we've been called to do. But there's a greater grace that's going to be revealed and that comes at the judgment. And Peter's saying, hang on to that hope 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, there is a greater grace that's going to be unveiled, but it's not now. It's not for today. It's for when eternity rolls out and the seals are open. This grace that protects you, this grace that covers you, this grace that makes you acceptable in God's sight is going to be unveiled and therefore you cannot let go of your hope in your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to hang on for dear life with that hope and believing in the supremacy of Christ and the promises that God is not lying. God doesn't lie to his children. God doesn't lie. That's why we shouldn't lie. Lying is the language of hell, not the language of heaven. God says, you can trust me, but you're going to have to go all the way through. And all the way through means you're going to have to go through some difficult things. Okay, so here's the news. If you are a Christian, you're going to run into difficult things. Anybody notice that? Okay, here's the good news. According to Peter, you may run into worse things. But that doesn't matter because you'll have grace to go through it. And as you go through it, God will reveal His grace appropriate for what you need to walk through. And as I'm looking through here, some of the stories I know, you would have never picked to go what you went through. Right? Okay? But He's saying, you don't let go of hope. Hang on to your hope in the promises because God will fulfill those promises. Alright? And therefore He says, who raised them from the dead, gave them glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There's a lot of things you can put your hope in these days. All of them fail, except the supreme one, the supremacy of Christ. That hope doesn't go out the window. Therefore, hang on to that rope and never let go. Let's pray. Father, as we talking about this, a large part of what kills our hope is our sin, and a large part of uh, what kills sin is a, a lack of really tracking well with you. And Lord, when we, we, when we get rattled, when we do lose hope, it's pretty difficult to try and function in the Christian life. And so as we talk this morning, we don't want to be in your sight like the pig or the dog. We don't want to have you keep cleaning us up. We want to stay in a good state and confess with you and have an open heart. Would you help us with that? Would you help us have a group? Would you help us have a place where confession of sin is a routine thing and not seen as strange or weird? Would we have posses that we could trust and people that we know would be discreet with the information? And Lord, could you heal us by the confession of our sins to each other? And in this uh, whole process here of what Peter's talking about, uh, the supremacy of Christ, how great the promises are, how great the promise giver is. May we never let go of that rope. And we ask this in your name. Amen.